Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So once again, good morning uh, and welcome. If, if you're just tuning in and we haven't met, my name is Oren J. Sofer and I'm offering these teachings uh, through the Insight Meditation Society as part of the uh, month of practice at the Forest Refuge in Barrie, Massachusetts that Caroline Jones and I are leading. So this morning I'd like to share some reflections on one of the most fundamental foundations of Buddhist practice, uh, insight meditation, and uh, in many ways, probably most forms of contemplative practice, uh, and that's our relationship with our body. Uh, Particularly during this time that we're living through of the the health crisis, a time when so many of us are feeling anxiety and experiencing profound uncertainty at so many different levels, uh, the body can be a huge resource One of the things I've been hearing a lot from people um, is an increase in the experience of isolation and alienation uh, during the time of social distancing, physical distancing, and a a real deep need for connection, uh, for contact, for touch. And um, for me, hearing this, uh, none of this is new, right? This is actually shining a spotlight on... um, a deep illness that's been here in our society and culture for a long time, which is the the tragedy of disconnection. In many ways, we could say there's an epidemic of disconnection in uh, in our world today, and and a deep loss of embodiment. You just think about the um, the activities, particularly in the developed world, that so much of um, so much of our life center around being on screens, uh, the tyranny of the calendar, getting to appointments, following the clock, um, commuting, driving. Everything is kind of pointing out there to the future. And that, that takes us out of the sense of embodiment and connection with ourself. There was an ad a few years ago that <laughs> jumped out at me because it, it kind of encapsulated the epitome of our culture. Uh, It was an ad for a a smartphone, and it said, um, you know, such and such phone, so you can be anywhere you want but here. Isn't that so much the ethos of all of the distractedness, the uh, incessant busyness, the kind of pushing, overriding, over-caffeinated culture? So you can be anywhere you want, but here. I remember very clearly uh, growing up in suburban New Jersey and, you know, going through 18 years of uh, public education, feeling very, now feeling very grateful and blessed to have had that time. But as a child, um, really getting the message from school and from culture that all of this is for something else. 
Everything you're doing now is to get to somewhere else in the future, to get a good job, to go to college, to get a good job, you know, to have a family. And I remember at the age of probably like seven or eight saying to my mom, I'm so bored. I'll write already. If the whole point is to, you know, grow up and get to college and get a job, why can't we just, why can't I just do that already? And so even at that young age, being saturated in this, this deep message of our culture of don't be where you are, get somewhere else. And I, I think in many ways, if we look at the, um, the environmental crisis of, uh, of climate change that we're facing on the planet, to a large degree, it is a reflection of our disconnection from our own bodies. And we're unable to live here in harmony with this very physical body. How do we expect to take care of and treat our physical environment, our home of the earth, well, if we can't do it with our own body. So the body is a tremendous resource. It has a place of healing, of nourishment, of wisdom for us. And particularly during the pandemic, when there's so much anxiety and alienation, if we're able to develop a deeper connection with our body, we can experience um, a more profound level of intimacy with ourself and with life. And, and through that connection, um, support a, a sense of contact, of belonging. When we're here in our own body, connected, we're more available. We're more available to life. We're more available to those we love. And some of that longing, some of that hunger for connection begins to be fed and nourished through our own sense of self-connection, through the deep presence we're able to establish in the present moment. I want to read to you uh, a passage from the early Pali Canon that many of you will be familiar with, who are students of Buddhism, um, from one of the most foundational meditation texts we use in the, um, the insight meditation tradition. This is from the Satipatthana Sutta, and the Buddha is recorded as having said, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way and the realization of awakening, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. And what is the first of those? The very first and most primary foundation fundamentally to set up mindfulness and enter this whole path of awakening mindfulness of the body. In another sutta, the Buddha says, in this fathom-length body is the world, the arising of the world, the ceasing of the world, and the way leading to the ceasing of the world. And what he's pointing to there is that the understanding and knowledge of the Four Noble Truths, the core of his teaching of the arising of suffering and its ending and the way leading to that ending are to, ending are to be felt, known, and understood right here and now in our own body. Tremendous gifts uh, that come when we are able to be mindful of the body. So much of the anxiety um, that many are experiencing today um, is about fear of the future. The mind creates stories and spins 
um, doomsday scenarios, uh, the body's always in the present. The body doesn't move into the past or the future. When there's fear, when there's anxiety, when there's longing and nostalgia for the past, when we're caught in that pull towards imagined futures and remembered pasts, the body provides a space to return to. We can create tremendous stress with our thinking. You know, if you've ever had trouble sleeping and the mind is just going, uh, or you're caught in a loop of doubt or worry, you know, or you're trying to make a decision and the mind is flopping back and forth between A and B and rationalizing both, it's never ending. So thought and doubt, that whole world is just a, a never ending cycle. And the body is the antidote to the prison of thinking. Because the body doesn't lie. The body is always presenting just what is right here and now, and it gives us a place to rest the attention outside of the realm of thought. One of my first meditation teachers, um, a man from India, Anagarika Manindraji, used to say, um, you are living mostly in the world of thought, Meditation, Dhamma practice, is about the world of experience. We can spend our whole lives lost in thought, planning, remembering, worrying, anticipating, only being present for the briefest moments when something intense enough, either pleasant or unpleasant, breaks through the spell of thinking. Meditation practice is about learning that there is another world right here and now that's available all the time. It's actually the world we're living in. John Kabat-Zinn, one of his books, is called Coming Back to Our Senses. This is what we are studying and practicing in meditation and the path of awakening is to learn how to connect and learn from sensory-based reality, the direct experience of being alive. So what is this body? I'd like to talk some more about um, how we habitually or ordinarily relate to the body and how we can begin to practice this first foundation of mindfulness of the body, both in formal practice but also very much in our day-to-day life and some of the gifts Uh, some of the fruits of that practice. When we um, just look at the body from a scientific perspective, it's pretty remarkable. Our bodies are 60% water. Um, The brain and our muscles are 75% water. Even our bones are 25% water. They're more non-human cells than human cells in the body. There are 10 times more bacterial cells than human cells. Right? What, what is this body that we live in every day? That's the statistic many of you have probably heard. If you took all of our blood vessels and stretched them out, 60,000 miles of blood vessels, enough to go around the whole globe more than twice. Another, um, another fact about the human body Uh, that blows my mind is that, um, so a woman is born with all of the eggs 
she will ever have in her ovaries. And those eggs are made when she's still in the womb. What that means is that each of us, the, the, the egg that formed into an embryo, that eventually developed into each of our bodies, was present in our maternal grandmother. Is that astounding? Every atom of every cell in our body has been around since the beginning of the universe. How many millions of years of evolution did it take to be able to do this? To, to have an opposable thumb, this, this capacity we take so for granted, millions of years of evolution right here in our own hand. So when we begin to just contemplate the body, we realize how remarkable it is, this amazing refined instrument that is the result of so many millions of years of evolution and all of the systems functioning to some degree enough to even be here listening, connecting. So how do we view it? How do we relate to this magical, mysterious form? The unexamined habitual view is kind of tragic. You know, when you step back and think about it, the default relationship to the body is often as a vehicle. As long as it's functioning, as long as we are temporarily healthy and able, and that's a temporary state, we know, we assume that the body will go where we want, it'll do what we want, it'll digest whatever foods we want to taste and eat. We basically relate to it as our slave, forcing it, demanding it, to obey our whims and wishes, pushing it past its limits, making it stay up, making it work, making it sit. The, the, the sense is that we're somehow up here in our head in the control tower, issuing commands down there to the rest of this thing, and only every now and then something below needs attention. You have to go to the bathroom. There's an ache. You get sick. You need to have an operation. Or there's this threat of a virus. And then as soon as that gets better, we go back up here and start barking orders. And we can spend our whole life doing that. So many years, decades, just treating it like a slave, telling it what, what we want to do until one day it stops obeying and we start paying the price of having not really listened to it. We relate to the body as a vehicle, um, as a slave. We relate to the body as an image, particularly in the West, through the lens of our cultural expectations. You know, how, um, how strong is the body? How thin is the body? How firm or flabby? How smooth or wrinkly? And then when the actual visual image of the body doesn't match the ideal created image, the photoshopped, photobrushed image of the models and the, uh, you know, the media, then what? We feel ashamed. We want to hide our body. This is another very, very deeply rooted um, ailment in our culture and our relationship to our bodies. 
and tragically so, one that um, affects all of us, but um, particularly those who are female identified more because of the, the kind of patriarchal and sexist structure of our society and the objectification of the female body. Next time you're out in nature, next time you're anywhere where there are trees, go and look at a tree. Does it feel ashamed of its shape? You know, does it say, gosh, why is my bark so uh, so wrinkly? That other tree over there has smooth bark. Or why are my branches so thin? That other tree has big branches. It's just a tree. It's just what it is. You know, each of our bodies is just a result of nature. They're exactly the way they are. It's only through thought and comparing that we suffer this visual image illness. We relate to the body as a concept. My body, is it healthy? And we become obsessed with taking care of the body in a way that's out of balance. We're not actually connected to the felt sense of the body, but we're relating to it as an idea. What others tell us about it, what we need to do to keep it healthy. Just pay attention to the effect it has when someone says, hey, you look great, or you look tired. The concept of the body and how it appears to ourself or others then starts to affect our own internal experience. In all of these, the body is an object rather than a subject. And this is another tragedy of our culture. Not just the objectification of other people's bodies, but of our own. And in that objectification, becoming disconnected, we somehow we become separated from what should be and what actually is uh, the most intimate home for us. There's, um, there's the line from um, that's embarrassing. I'm blanking on the author's name, um, Finnegan's Wake. Uh, the line from one of his, his books, uh, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body, right? So do we actually inhabit our own body or has it become an object in our own mind, in our own world? I know for me as, as a young man, uh, I, I suffered a lot from how uh, the objectification of women became imprinted on my own mind through the loss of connection with my own body. In that process of objectifying another, we objectify ourselves. And I had to work very hard. It took, uh, it took years to reclaim a sense of direct intimacy with my own body. Now, all of these habitual ways of relating to our body as a vehicle, as a slave, as a concept, an image, an object, all of these rest on a fundamental fallacy. That the body is who we are. That we take this body as an identity, as me, as mine. And this is where the root of so much of our suffering lies. The Buddha called this um, a particular obstacle in the practice called Sakaya Ditti, the, the view of self. He referred to it like trying to uh, cross a sea in a boat, and you're rowing, and you're rowing, but that boat is moored to the shore. 
this sense of identification with the body, that this is, this is me, it's who I am, doesn't allow us to make progress on the spiritual path. So how do we start to come home into this body and begin to understand its nature more so that we're not moored to the shore even as we're making effort to row? How do we free ourselves from the prison of objectifying our own body, being separated and alienated from it? The Buddha encouraged the practice of kaya gata sati. Kaya means body, gata means to go or gone, sati means mindfulness. Mindfulness gone to the body, or as it's often translated, mindfulness of the body. Embodied mindfulness, a sense of deep presence and inhabiting our body, really being here in our own skin. And to understand the body, to relate to it properly, to start to discover the doorway to our own true home, we have to know the body directly, to live in it, to inhabit it, to start to examine it and see how are we relating to it? You know, are, are we just reacting to its pain and using it to seek pleasure? Or are we cultivating a more reflective way of relating to the body, using this very life as, as a vehicle for developing the heart, for freeing the heart? So coming home in the body, learning to inhabit the body. The first step here builds on what I was sharing yesterday. The first step begins with developing a certain relationship to the body, cultivating a relationship of kindness, of friendship, picking up that tone. And this isn't necessarily easy, particularly if we don't like our body, right? If we're caught in those um, uh, feelings of shame or comparing, or if our body isn't healthy and we're resisting that, struggling with it, angry at our body for not doing what we want, grieving the loss of the sense of health and the person we used to be. Developing a relationship of friendship and kindness uh, can begin with gratitude, realizing that whatever our body is doing, however healthy it is or um, whatever shape it is, whatever age it is, it's always doing the best it can to keep us alive, right? That's the body's only job. That's its only uh, desire, is to sustain our life, and it does everything it can, every day, every hour, as best it can, to sustain our life. When we begin to recognize that, we start to shift our relationship to the body. We learn to be able to to befriend the body, to shift from relating to the body as a vehicle or a slave to seeing it as a friend, and ultimately as a teacher. This is from the uh, 
Tibetan teacher, Tsongkhapa, a 14th century Tibetan Buddhist Lama, the human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest gem. Cherish your body. It's yours this one time only. The human form is one with great difficulty. It is easy to lose. All worldly things are brief, like lightning in the sky. This life you must know as the tiny splash of a raindrop, a thing of beauty that disappears even as it comes into being. Therefore set your goal. Make use of every day and night to achieve it. This body is our vehicle in a profound way, not a utilitarian way. It's our vehicle for awakening. It's the the doorway that we have to realize the truth. The Buddha said, we touch the deathless with the body. Touch, that's the metaphor he used. It's through the body that this heart understands who and what we truly are and releases the bonds of confusion and identification. When we begin to recognize this, our relationship to the body shifts to one of of care, of stewardship. We recognize we're in a relationship with this body and there's a, a sense of duty to take care of it to respect it as our vehicle for awakening. And then this beautiful shift can happen where just the very basic activities of our life of eating and bathing and exercising and dressing and sleeping, instead of becoming tedious or a chore or something to get through, they can become infused with with a, a deep quality of care. One of the meta phrases is, may I take care of myself happily. May may I realize the joy in attending to this body and keeping it well and healthy. May all of us realize that joy. So how do we take care of our body? Those of you who have known me for a while know that um, particularly in my 20s and my late 30s, I had a, a number of chronic health issues and experienced a lot of physical pain with digestive disorders and some chronic disease it was a real ringer of a journey to learn how to not fight and hate my body when it wasn't doing what I wanted, when it wouldn't digest the foods I want, when it was in pain, when it was tired, when it was foggy. But to start to come into relationship to it with appreciation, with warmth, with compassion. So massaging your body, touching your body, uh, learning to listen to it and eventually beginning to become acquainted with our inner life. And meeting the challenges of, of this are not easy. This first part of how are we relating to the body to develop mindfulness of the body. Because as we begin to contact our body, when we really start to open up and feel what's here, what happens? Well... It's not always pleasant, right? 
the body remembers, as the saying goes, the issues are stored in the tissues. Now, our body carries our history, uh, painful memories, unresolved fears, tensions, buried emotions, all, all of that gets stored in our body. And so when we begin to open to feeling our body, there can be uh, this reckoning. It's not always comfortable or pleasant, and there can be painful or uncomfortable or difficult things to feel. I, I know for me that was a huge part of my journey. It has been and continues to be. I remember this um, one very, very clear moment in college. Um, there was a, a lot of emotional volatility um, for a period of time in my family when I was growing up. One of my family members was mentally ill, um, and there was a lot of anger and fear and uh, verbal you know, aggression and violence. It was very scary, very frightening for me as a kid. Um, and my conditioning was to be okay, was to hold it together, to be there for other people. So I suppressed it. You know, I suppressed the fear. I suppressed the anger. And um, when I got to college, about 18, I remember this one day standing after taking a shower, a towel around my waist, looking in the mirror, and, and feeling this flutter in my belly. And it, it was like, as an adult, as a young adult, like the, the first time of really feeling something again in my body. And it was, it was just like a glimmer, but there was this knowing of, oh boy, <laughs> there's something here. There's, there's a lot here that needs to be felt and uh, processed and metabolized. And it took years. It took a good decade, really, you know, to start to um, have the resources and the support and the time and the space to integrate all of those experiences. So there can be a lot that comes up. I remember the first time I did yoga when I was just starting to meditate about a year later after that. Um, anytime we would do some physical practice, you know, stretching, downward dog, and I was being invited to feel my body, I would get so frustrated. I would feel so uncomfortable. I would start crying. It was so hard. And that too continued for, for several years of learning yoga, learning qigong, just feeling so much tension and frustration and discomfort any time I was trying to feel what was happening in my body. So it can take time and patience to work through the, the numb places, the tight places, the hard areas to to smooth and, and release those tensions, to integrate them. With practice, we can create a space internally for all of those experiences to come into awareness and to give our body a chance to integrate and release the things that have been held. And what a relief. What a tremendous relief to not be carrying the past in our body. This is the invitation, this is the promise of the practice of mindfulness of body. 
and you know, the, the, how that works, that, that's a whole nother talk. I'll just very kind of briefly point to the, the basic process of this integrating and releasing is when there's pain, when there's difficulty, when there's trauma held in the body, you don't go in if you can't come out. You need another reference point. This is why we emphasize finding an anchor and learning to rest there. You need a neutral reference point, or if possible, even a pleasant one, to put your attention outside of the pain and the difficulty and the turmoil. And you, 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 you set that up as your, as your base. And from there, you, dis, you establish a certain tone, a tone of kindness, of interest, of welcoming. And then you give the process time and space to unfold. You, you touch into the painful area, you retreat, you go back to a resource, an anchor, a grounding place. You develop the strength inside to allow what is present to unfold because its nature is to change. Its nature is to release and be integrated. So our work is actually just to step back and create the the container to create the conditions for that to unfold. And one of the prim- two of the primary conditions there are one having a reference point, having uh, a uh, some place to rest your attention, and two the relationship, the tone, kindness, friendship, interest. It's important to go at your own pace. There's no rush here. You develop that resource, you find the right tone, and then you let it unfold. So developing the right relationship to the body. Starting to explore the body non-conceptually. This is, this is the second um, aspect of um, coming home in our body. It's starting to slow down. And this is something we can do with contemplative practice, with movement practice. In the slowing down, we can explore what it's like to put down our ideas of the body. We each have a kind of mental map, an image of the body in our own mind's eye. When we close our eyes, we see the visual picture of the body. We slow down enough, we begin to contact and dwell in the felt experience of the body with a willingness and a humility to rediscover what is this body? Beyond our ideas and thoughts and past experiences. So when you sit, how do you know that you're sitting? Not up here intellectually, directly. What's the felt experience? When you stand, when you walk, How do you know the body is standing, that it's walking? It's this exploring the body non-conceptually. It begins to change, begins to open that relationship. We, We begin to contact the body as a felt experience of sensation, of different pressures and flushes and tingles, of of weight and hardness and lightness, of heat and coolness. Pulsing and flowing. This is the the practice of uh, the four elements, recognizing that we can understand and experience the body as this um, play of changing sensations of earth element, hardness or 
or uh, lightness of weight, of uh, air element of pressure, movement, tingling, vibrating, of water element, the sense of cohesion and flowing, of fire element, of heat and temperature and coolness. As we do this, as we, as we enter the felt experience of the body non-conceptually, we begin to experience what the Buddha pointed to in the Satipatthana Sutta of being mindful of the body as a body, being mindful of the body in the body on its own terms, not from the perspective of our preconceived notions. And in doing so, we begin to reawaken the intelligence of the body. It knows how to process things. So this uh, slowing down, exploring the body non-conceptually, we learn to become fully conscious of the body, to allow awareness to fill and enter the body. So there are many uh, meditation techniques, various embodied practices that are supportive for this. Yoga, qigong, even exercise, dance, movement. The body scan is a primary practice for this, sweeping your attention through the body, kind of like massaging the tissues with your own awareness. Mindfulness of breathing is an embodied practice. It's not a mental practice starting to become aware of the whole body and just feeling the rhythm of the breath like a wave, kind of gently pulsing, moving, swelling and subsiding. We become sensitive to the body. And over time, as we practice, that that awareness, that consciousness of the body becomes a resting place throughout the day. So in the Satipatthana Sutta, the instruction is to be mindful during all activities, when flexing and extending the arm, when standing, when sitting, when going to the bathroom, when eating. The sense of there is a body, as the text says, that we can be aware of the movements and the presence of this physical form. When we can do this, there's a profound shift. Slowly, in our experience, the body becomes a great resource. The Buddha refers to it as a pleasant abiding in the here and now. It becomes someplace we can rest outside of the the, the storm and the hurricane of our our thinking, outside of the, the chaos of emotions and intensity. Rest the attention with the body. It becomes a reference point and a foundation, not just for awareness, but for the cultivation of of beauty. The body tells us in its own terms what's helpful, what's skillful, and what's not helpful. We learn to sense in our heart and in our body uh, the feedback ethically of our intentions and our actions. This is from the Buddha, from the Anguttara Nikaya. Monks, friends, practitioners, one thing when developed and cultivated leads to great good, leads to security from bondage to mindfulness and clear comprehension, leads to attainment of knowledge and vision, leads to a pleasant dwelling in this life, leads to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. What is that one thing? 
mindfulness in the body. This is the one thing that when developed and cultivated leads to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. (laughs) It's no small thing he's pointing to. It's why he called it the first foundation. Ultimately, the body becomes our teacher. It's always revealing the truth. It's always revealing the nature of this life and this world. This is from the uh, Thai forest meditation master, Ajahn Chah. Actually, the body is telling us all of the time. If the body could talk, it would be telling us all day long, you're not my owner, you know. It's telling us all the time, but it's Dhamma language, so we don't understand it. For instance, the sense organs of the ear, the eye, the nose, the tongue, and the body are always changing. I've never seen them ask permission from us even once. Like when we have a headache or a stomach ache, the body doesn't ask permission first. It just goes right ahead, following its natural course. This shows that the body doesn't allow anyone to be its owner. It doesn't have an owner. The Buddha described it as an object void of substance. So this is the um, kind of the, the, the paradox, in a certain way, of mindfulness of the body. It's this journey. We begin often from a place of disconnection and alienation and separation from the body. It's an object. It's separate from us. It's a, a slave and a vehicle. And then we begin to explore it. We work through the tensions and the pain and the hurt. And it becomes a, a home. We can rest in the body. But that sense of identification, that this is me, this is who I am, is often still there. But as we start to experience the body directly and it reveals its nature to us, we begin to recognize it's not who we are. It's changing. The Buddha compared it to a lump of sea foam. You know, we're not our bodies. And that's not personal, just... Think back to being young, to being a child, to being a teenager, to being a young adult in your 20s. Where is each of those bodies now? Was it really you? It's changing all the time. If you close your eyes, how old is your mind? Does the mind have any age? Does awareness have a gender? Does it have a race? The body's always changing, and it's not personal. It's not who we are. When we begin to see this, to know this, and experience it directly, a deeper kind of freedom opens up. We begin to touch into our true home, in the present moment, which is awareness and the capacity to let go, the capacity to understand. Because for each of us, the time will come when we need to let go of the body. Why is there so much hysteria? Why is there so much fear in the world right now during this time? It's not just the, the change. It's not just the, law, the potential loss of our loved ones. It's the fear of death. 
It's the fear of this body ending, of it breaking apart because we are so identified with it. The Buddha invites us to reflect every day on the nature of the body. I am of the nature to age. I'm not exempt from aging. I'm of the nature to get sick. I'm not exempt from illness and sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I'm not exempt from dying. Not to be morbid, but to free us from the delusion that life's going to go on forever and that this body is who we are. It's wisdom, it's the understanding of the nature of the body that frees the heart, that unmoors that boat from the shore. And this learning, this understanding, it's, it's not intellectual, it's intuitive. It's something that we understand in our heart from experience. And that comes from feeling and contacting the body directly, from learning to live in it and inhabit it and allowing it to reveal its nature to us. So I think I want to end with, uh, with a poem. This is a poem that I wrote a number of years ago. I think particularly apt maybe for these times. It's called Trust. I trust what this body knows. Breathing in, breathing out, the way home. I trust the ground which I can stand upon, the earth that rises to meet my feet and gives gently beneath my weight. And I trust that ground which I cannot stand upon, the falling away that everything returns to. I trust what this body knows, the pulsing and quivering, the tight, the hard, the smooth, rough, and flowing. I trust the great oak and the white pine who do not question where the next branch will grow who are tall, solid, gnarled, and strong, who bend in the wind. I trust the sun that shines and warms the taut green skin and deep blue water of this earth, that sun to which we all instinctively turn, which touches our billion faces alike, asking only the song of our sincere living in return. I trust what this body knows, breathing in, breathing out, the way home. I trust what this body knows, that the magnolia in springtime takes time to bloom, that the autumn leaf does not struggle to reach the ground, that we too are beautiful, brief, So thank you so much for your kind attention, for joining me this morning. Uh, Tomorrow morning at the same time, we'll have an open Q&A. If you're watching this on... uh, Online, you'll need to tune in on Zoom through the link uh, either on the Forest Refuge Retreat page or on my website. Uh, So hope to see you there. Take care. Have a good day.